Welcome to Now I See, eye-opening stories from the formerly faithful. I'm your host, Amber White, and here, me and my guests share our experiences in loving and leaving rigid faith systems. Together, we shine a light on the dark corners of these institutions and share the joys of rebuilding life on our own terms. I promise you'll leave inspired, even if you are a little teary-eyed. Welcome back to Now I See. I'm your host, Amber White, and I know my voice is a little rough at the moment, but I'm here and I'm full of a very strong cough medicine and an even stronger will to not miss another week of putting this special episode out there. I'm talking with fellow podcast creator and host, Andrew Pledger of the Surviving BJU podcast and formerly the Speaking Up podcast. Andrew and I found each other through our respective podcasts, Instagram accounts, not even realizing we were neighbors. I've had the pleasure of sitting in local coffee shops with him, talking for hours about what we're doing and going through, and I even had the privilege of recording this episode with him in my home, where we shared a meal and many laughs. Like myself, Andrew is a former fundamentalist that attended a strict Bible college because the pressure to attend is on. And I applaud him for his devotion because I only made it one year, and he somehow made it to his senior year before being expelled for being outspoken in his disagreements with Bob Jones University's teachings. Andrew does a great job of sharing his story, so I won't spoil it here. But I do want to commend him on a fantastic season of surviving BJU. It takes a lot of courage to speak out about things that the majority either agree with, go along with to keep the peace, or find not questioning. And he has created a platform for not just himself, but so many others to exercise that courage. Whether you are familiar with Bob Jones University or not, your life, yes, yours, has been impacted by its existence, especially if you live in South Carolina. BJU has been considered the crown jewel of fundamentalist higher education for decades, and it has had far-reaching implications for regional and national politics, education as a whole, and human rights. You'd be surprised at just how much of an impact it has had on everyday American life. I've put links to Surviving BJU in the show notes, along with ways that you can engage with Andrew. He is a true delight, so I hope that you will. Also, 
I'd like to extend my most sincere gratitude to everyone who reached out and wished me well last week when I announced I'd have to delay this episode. It meant a lot to me, and I feel so loved and supported by this community of people. So thank you very much, and I hope you all are also taking great care of yourselves. All right, let's get into this incredible story. Andrew, thank you so much for being with me today. I'm excited that we get to record. Finally, we've been planning this for months and that we get to record in person and that you came over for Indian food before we did this. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this for so, so long. Me too. I am just really impressed by all that you've done so soon after leaving too and by how passionate you are how organized you are which we love to talk about we both are so organized we are so organized (laughs) and um and also just the passion that you bring Mm. to this for the people who are doing it and i love the way you're willing to say what needs to be said and not apologize for it it's something that i really admire and have learned a lot from so thank you for everything you bring of course Yeah. So I'm really excited to introduce guests to you because they're going to get to learn about two podcasts. (laughs) One that you've kind of has led you into the big one that you've just recently introduced, which is Surviving BJU. I'm excited for us to talk about that one. But before we get into where you're at now, I like for listeners to know where you came from. So how did your life start? What faith were you involved in? And what did that look like for you? Yeah, that, uh, I kind of laugh at that sometimes because it's such a big question. It's like a, so much has happened to like bring me to this point. And I'm glad to be and really proud to be at this point. But I was raised in the independent fundamental Baptist movement, which I know you are from, sadly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like when we met online and you're like, oh, I'm IFB. And I'm like, oh. Yes, like you get it. We understand each other. Yes. <laughs> and it's so awesome to connect with other survivors. And like you you don't feel like you have to explain yourself. You don't have to share right. all the details or all the stories because like they just get it. They mm-hmm. came from that same toxic, high control environment. So mm-hmm. just for a little history of my parents, they were both, they weren't exactly born into the IFB. So like my mom's parents, they were Methodist and then got recruited into the IFB. And then mm-hmm. once that happened, my Nana went crazy into it. And then my mom became very dedicated to it and they became involved in an IFB church. And that's where they stayed at for a long time. I can't remember how many IFB churches they were at because I know they moved at least once. Um, but whatever church they went to, it was IFB because that was the best way or really like the only legitimate way to be a Christian, the only right, um, I don't, it's not a denomination, but it's, it was like the right background that they thought at least. And so with my dad, his, I think his mom, I'm not sure what age he got involved with it, but his dad was not really Christian. But then once he converted in the IFB movement, he became like really involved with it. And then Of course, my dad took it on, but how my parents met, they met at a college called Hiles Anderson College. Yes, okay. And this, for people who aren't familiar, this college, I'm going to say how it is. It was started by cult leader Jack Hiles, Mm -hmm. and he's the leading figure in the IFB movement 
he the the Hiles Anderson College is attached to First Baptist of Hammond, which I think it still is, but it's known as like the largest IFB church in America. Wow! And it had a at one time it had a hundred thousand members. That's a lot for an IFB. That is massive, and I know they had a, over a hundred buses for their bus ministry. So. That's the thing with IFB. They're known for wanting to like grow and bring in their numbers because the church I grew up in, we had a really big bus ministry. We had over mm-hmm. 50 buses we had that were bringing people. So my parents met at this college that's a part of just this oh, massive IFB indoctrination machine, mm-hmm. basically. So my dad was studying to be a pastor, my mom a Christian school teacher, and they struggled to have children. That's a big part of their story. Like, they were going to adopt, actually. They were looking to adopt. So it, it took them six to seven years to have children. That's an eternity in the fundamentalist realm for somebody who's married. <laughs> yes. Like, you're expected to just have Immediately, children. Within a year. And so, to them, they didn't think in their beliefs, oh, like, God's not blessing us or whatever. So, they wanted to adopt. But all of a sudden, they had three boys. I don't know. Three boys. A miracle. Yes. So that made them think that, oh, God answered our prayers. And it made them much more dedicated to raising us in what they thought was the right way or the Christian way. Mm-hmm. So I was, me and my brothers, we were homeschooled K through 12. So I was born in 2000 and I was homeschooled from 2005 to 2018. Wow. Yeah. So the whole time. The whole time. The whole time. The whole time. We do really understand each other. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And the curriculum we used was a Becca, which was produced by yes. Pensacola Christian College. I know it well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting curriculum. They're oh. very um, rigid. It's a good word for it. Yes. And like they, I mean, I mean, you know, Pensacola, they're IFB also. So it has yes. the whole KJV only and it, there's like literally verses, even in a math book, it takes a creationism mm-hmm. stance. And their spelling was so fucking hard. <laughs> God damn it. It was so fucking hard. But you know what? I'm good at spelling things, so whatever. But They take the English language very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I was an English major at Pensacola, so that's why I can say that with so much authority. That and having studied under them for some yeah. time. <laughs> But yeah, so I, yeah, I was raised in the IFB movement and the IFB church that my parents joined. And that's the interesting thing. My dad, he left the ministry before I was born. I'm not sure what year. And my mom has only told me about this. He was so miserable in it. He was so unhappy. So here Mm. he had dedicated his life to it and he went to college to study it. And then he just doesn't realize during that time, that's not for me. But in that environment, you are indoctrinated of like, your only purpose on earth is to spread this message. That's why you're here. And I remember remember being told that growing up, Mm -hmm. like you should be so grateful you're in this group because we have the truth and the only truth, the only truth. And we have to get it to other people and get them saved through whatever ministry that was. And it's like, you never really got to know people for who they were. Like they were always a project, always a project. And they were always a prize to win. Mm. Ah, yes. And a like, soul to say. Now that you said that, I remember I found a Bible that was my mom's and she had written down every single name 
of people that she believed that she led to the Lord and got saved. Wow. And it was just names after names after names. Wow. I was like, wow. You know what's interesting is I, I remember asking my mom once, what happened if somebody never heard the gospel, right? Like if they never heard that they needed to say this prayer, if they never heard of Jesus, because I knew enough about the world to know that there were people who didn't speak English, one, and people who lived in very remote locations, right? Like I'd heard about missionaries going to very remote places to people who didn't speak a language anyone knew. So I remember asking her and she was like, well, you know, I think, you know, God would have mercy on them. And ever since that moment, I have wondered, why are we witnessing then? Yes, exactly. <laughs> why are we witnessing? Leave them alone so that they'll have mercy. <laughs> like, don't bother them. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. It makes no sense. Yeah. Unless you're a cult trying to recruit members. Yes. Right? Unless you're a very high control group trying to get people to be part of your fold mm-hmm. and live in a certain way that makes you happy. Yes. Because you need that mm-hmm. to be fulfilled and sustained. Mm, yes. And that's the thing. Looking back, I'm like, you know, a cult is nothing without its followers. Nothing. Like they, they, like, I remember the, the IFP cult that I grew up in, like we were required to give 10% of our income mm-hmm. and really we were told we would not be blessed if we didn't give 10% of our income. Right. And so I remember from a young age, from my $5 allowance being forced to give 10% of my income, my parents would give 10% mm-hmm. every week. And the church said, you know, you know, and they always told you, they wanted you like, you have to do this cheerfully. Yeah. You have to give your money, but also give it cheerfully. Right. You're doing it for God. Yeah. <laughs> for that bus ministry. <laughs> God, like <laughs> bus ministry. Oh my God. It's so unsustainable. <laughs> like it's so expensive. Yes. It's so it expensive. expensive. But yeah, so the church I grew up in, it was one of the larger IFB churches in America. It was called, it still exists, but Gospel I Baptist Church in Walkertown, mm-hmm. North Carolina. It was pastored by Brother Bobby Robertson for over 60 years. That's a long time for one pastor. Yes. yes. And like, wow. that's one of the many things that drew my parents to him and other people was his dedication to it mm-hmm. like and that was a thing that like i didn't have the language for growing up but it was like the congregation's dedication to our pastor yeah. like, there were moments of that growing up where i'm like huh because i remember there was a point i think it was like the early 2010s there was like a major church exodus of mm-hmm. people leaving and it was just as a child trying to process that of like one week like people who used to sit in the front would then sit back and then, no, they weren't in the back anymore. And they were gone. And they were gone. They would just disappear <laughs> without saying anything. And so, you know, I wonder, I'm like, what is going on? Like, I still don't know the specific thing that made them leave. I definitely think a lot of people were like, oh, this is a cult. We need to leave. <laughs> because of just the strict lifestyle that everyone was expected to live, not just in the church, but outside of the church and really not allowed to be friends with people outside of that belief system. And also like there were moments of like discouragement of college education, especially secular college education. Yes. Also. Which is a perfect lead in to my next question for you, which is how you ended up at Bob Jones, because 
you know, going from being homeschooled in, in an IFB church, there's a lot, like you said, of people talking down on secular education. Recruiters will come in from other churches and things and talk down on secular education and then talk up their particular school. Bible colleges are really good at recruitment. <laughs> Churches are really good at recruitment. And it's kind of an expectation of a lot of young people, especially if you're really in the church and you're really devoted, that you'll either go to a local school and stay in the church or you're going to go to a Bible college. With your parents going to Hiles Anderson and there being so many options for you, I wonder how you ended up at Bob Jones. <laughs> yeah, and like then is the interesting thing was because the group I grew up in, they would promote IFB colleges where they were basically, they were just ministry based. You would go there to be indoctrinated and then you'd be sent out to the world to either church plant or be a missionary or have some kind of ministry. Like there's no other purpose for you to be on this planet Mm -hmm. except like you have to dedicate everything to it. And that's another thing with cults. Your entire life has to be it. And that's what they expected. Yes. And I remember growing up that I knew that I didn't want to be in the ministry. Mm, like interesting. Growing up, I was like the perfect IFB fundamentalist Christian. I followed all the rules. I had my own devotionals, my own notebook, my own pens, <laughs> yes. and all the organized stuff. And like I was good. Like I did it daily. I had my checklist. <laughs> I- <laughs> And I did it all. Like I was a rule follower growing up and I made me feel so much better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And I literally, like I thought people who were not IFB were like not right with God because that's, that's what I was taught. Yeah. Like if, like if your, the, the attitude or the messages that I took was, if you're not going to do it this way, you might as well not do it at all. Right. Like you have to be all in. Well, there's that whole verse about, you know, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's true. Like there is no lukewarm. Lukewarm to God is freezing cold. Mm. That kind of shit. Yes. So if you are lukewarm or you are just being like, maybe I'll only take a few parts of this and maybe I'll balance my life out with other things, then you're bad at it. And if you're bad at it, well, you're ashamed of God and God should be ashamed of you too. I mean, there are, there are really severe consequences to living a normal life in the IFB. Yes. <laughs> and it's been interesting to me to see like the folks that I grew up with who've decided to wear bikinis or like jeans. And, and I've been kind of amazed to see which people stay fully in and which ones kind of have mm-hmm. dipped out into other churches or maybe left altogether. It's very few that have left altogether. Mm-hmm. But a lot kind of went a softer route. And I'm always curious, like, I wonder what their parents who are still at the church think. Oof. Or, like, I wonder how the church talks about them. And Because I remember how the church talked about people like that before. And maybe that's changed. But I don't know. It is, it's just normalcy, doing normal things, doing normal things that you see in the world when you're in a church like that comes with its own set mm. of challenges yeah. and certainly consequences. Mm. And one of those being, like, are you one of the ones who went to a secular school or not? And like, that was just, you were not supposed to do that in IFB. And so Mm -hmm. with my choices for colleges, number one, when I started looking into colleges, like I knew I wanted a good education. I love learning, Mm -hmm. but I knew I'm like, I don't want to be in the ministry and like all these colleges and you know, my parents, they would only support me if I went to a fundamentalist Christian college. Interesting. So otherwise no support. If it's outside of that. So, you know, again, there's no choice there. Right. You have a very limited set of choices at that point. Yeah. And so, and for me, like, I didn't even want to go to a fundamentalist 
Christian college. Like at 17 years old, I knew that I wanted to leave the IFB. Okay. I still consider myself a Christian at that time, at least, but I didn't have any of the language or knowledge. I just knew that this is harming me. Just because of all the mental health issues I had throughout all of my teen years, I was yeah. dismissed, shamed for it, and given this, like, really spiritually bypassed. Yeah. Just given this, like, oh, read your Bible, pray, or this is the issue. These simplistic answers for complex things that reading your Bible and praying is just not going to do. Yeah, doesn't cut it. <laughs> Turns out. Turns out. Oof. Yeah. So for college, for any of Bob Jones, I didn't really know about it at first. Of course, I had heard of Bob Jones the person because the leader of our group would quote him a lot. Of course. But my options were, you know, when it came to college, so if I wanted to go to a fundamentalist college and it was going to be wanting to major in something that wasn't ministry, my option was Pensacola Christian College. Right. Which I know very well. <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> and my older brother, he graduated from there. So okay. by the time that I was about to enter college, he had already been at Pensacola for three years and he loved it and blah, blah, blah. But at that point, me, number also knowing that I'm, you know, figuring out later in my teen years that I'm gay, also that's so awful in mm-hmm. that environment. Like it's one of the worst things you could be in that environment. So like right. that was a lot to process. But I knew enough of myself at that time to know that I will not like that. I will not be safe. And that because it was so concerning to me when I researched Pensacola, how far they went to control all the students, like even farther than Bob Jones University. Straight up surveillance. Oh my God. Like Unbelievable. It was just too much for me to know that you could not leave campus without telling anyone or signing out. Like you were on campus arrest if you were there. You were in a prison. Yes. So when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, I'm like, what other options do I have? And I can't remember if my mom brought it up or if I found it, but now Bob Jones University. And I started looking into it and I, you know, and and another, another thing, Pensacola was not accredited like in all departments. So I was like, like, that's the thing with these IFB colleges. Once you go to them, you can only usually get jobs within that network. Mm -hmm. That's again, how they keep you isolated in in that environment and separated from the outside world. So I was like, I can't escape this environment if I can only work in it. So for me, I'm like, I have to, okay, if I have to go to a fundamentalist college, which I don't want to do, but I want a college education. Okay. I guess Bob Jones is accredited. My parents seem to be okay with that right now. And they'll support me through that. So I can take four years at this college, which like at that time, it felt like it's such a long time to commit. Well, especially when you're young, oh it feels like forever. And especially like when you know that you will not be safe there and you know that you are not in a healthy environment. Right. And like when you know, oh, I want to leave this system of control, but I right. can't. Don't have the, like, don't know anyone on the outside. Yeah. And so... I did try to get out of going a couple of months before my freshman year, which was in 2018. And it it was also interesting because Bob Jones was not a college my church approved of or even promoted. Really? Yes. Not strict enough? (laughs) (laughs) The reason for that is they no longer took the, or I don't know if they did originally, but they don't take the KJV only stance and like... That's that, pretty shocking. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, they they do use a KJV a lot, but they don't take, oh, this is the only legitimate word of God. They use, they, I have heard other versions used in chapel before. Um, but that was really, that was also concerning to my parents. And 
when I decided to, I'm like, okay, I guess this is really my only option. There's other choices. If I want a good education in a fundamentalist environment, I didn't even want to be in fundamentalism, but I was like, I can do this. And even my parents, once they found out they were not KJB only, they were like, oh, and they were really upset about that and thought mm-hmm. because of that thing, Bob Jones was going was going to liberal or straying away. And my parents justified it in their minds by saying, you know what? You're not going in the ministry. They're like, if you were going into the ministry, we would not want you to go to Bob Jones University. But since you know, you're seeking a career, we're fine with you going. Wow. It's hard to explain to people who did not grow up fundamentalist how mm. seriously they take the King James Version. Yeah. I sat through so many sermons in my lifetime on why it's the only legitimate translation of the Bible. It's unreal how that's one of their big cult yes, moments, right? It is. is this, with, this is the only way any other version of the bible is not acceptable it doesn't matter who endorsed it it doesn't matter who said what like it doesn't even matter if there's a new translation that's better we're holding to this one and it's interesting to me because it's one of the ones that's been proven to be the most far removed from accuracy yeah (laughs) and i think it's interesting they cling to that particular one i'd love to i need to do a deep dive on why that started but it is a really big deal i Mm -hmm. cannot overstate to people who didn't grow up like this like that is the translation, and you you just don't stray from it. And if you do, you're getting side-eyed, and you're not part of the group. You're, no. You don't really know the truth yeah. is kind of how it breaks down. So they, they decided it was fine for you to go. What was your major going to be there? Yeah, originally it was actually filmmaking, or really Ooh. cinema was what they called it at the place. Um, but yeah, I had, in my teen years, filmmaking was a way for me to express a lot of things that I didn't yeah. know how to grapple with or what I was experiencing. I made a lot of horror films. I love this. I didn't know this. Yeah. This is great. Um, so many. And like, I've looked back on some of them. I'm like, oh, that is pers- a person in so much pain. Aww. And they're expressing it through this. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you had an outlet for yeah. that. That was probably really helpful for you to process before you could really process. And it, it, it was funny because like, there were moments where like, I think there were things I unconsciously knew that like came out. And that's the thing about Mm -hmm. art, unconscious things come out. And I remember watching one thing, um, a a short film I made, and it was where my family was in a cult. And, (laughs) um, and, you know, I had no education Mm -hmm. on cults at all growing up, but like looking back, I'm like, oh, (laughs) some part of me, like... You actually had the best education on cults growing up. I mean, unknowingly, like not aware. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, okay, hindsight, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. But I think another thing that I um, not want to go off too much on a tangent, but some things I saw was just being so discarded, not having worth, like you did not matter at all. Mm -hmm. And like I noticed in these films, like it was always these authoritarian mean figures. And like that's just how it was in the IFB. You obey authority no matter what my parents told me adults are right even when they're wrong yeah yeah (laughs) what the fuck there's no breakdown of this structure there are no exceptions they they have to cling to that black and white Mm -hmm. it's part it's again part it's their their cult moment there the thing that they cling to is this dichotomy this spectrum where you're either one or the other you got you got into bob jones though and your parents semi forgave you for it somehow they found it in their hearts to forgive you and allow you to do this. Yeah. And you're there. Yeah. What was it like? Oh, like I just, 
I remember the day riding in the, the homeschool minivan with my parents <laughs> down to Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina, and just the dread, the anxiety. And I remember I, I had been to campus before, so I was a little bit familiar with it. Uh, but I remember just, it was a different feeling this time. I remember driving, like entering the gates and just looking at the iron black barred fence mm. and the spikes on top. And I'm just like, the fence was, is an icon in and of itself. It is iconic. Mm-hmm. The fence at Bob Jones. Kind for, of like the Berlin wall. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's foreshadowing of like of how you're going to feel in this environment. It's yeah. so trapped. Mm-hmm. So isolated. And like, that was a thing. You could not live off campus if you were between the ages of 18 to 22 and you were coming from out of state. Now, you could live outside if you were a townie and you were living with your parents. That's what we call them, townies. townies. They live with their funny. they live with their parents and they had that authority over them to keep them in line. And so I remember driving in and just seeing that fence with the spikes and I'm just like dreading it and also like fearing for my own safety as a queer person, because I had already two months before tried to get out of going. Long story short, I came out to my mom and was like, I'm kind of also, I, I'm also kind of doubting this faith thing. So yeah. there's a lot to unload on mom. You just said it out loud, huh? It just, it had been pent up inside of me and like in the environment, things just build up inside of you because mm-hmm. you're not allowed to express anything besides joy. You're just supposed to put on this shiny, happy face. Right. All the time. All the time shiny happy people god is good yeah. all the time <laughs> all the time god oh, is good oh my gosh yeah the chant oh i love it <laughs> so fun but yeah i remember being there and meeting my roommates and being like in my mind i'm like you have to be as small as possible mm-hmm. you had to be so unnoticed stay on the radar and even like i had done some research on like the rules and like it was awful but it wasn't as bad as Pensacola. <laughs> the thing is, you had to sign a covenant. And, you know, you had to read the rule book and say, you'll abide by it, blah, blah, blah. And they can kick you out or whatever and do whatever mm-hmm. to you if you go against it. And, like, this is a thing that is so frustrating to me is as I've been talking about my experiences about Bob Jones, people are like, you signed the covenant. You made that choice. You chose to go there. And it's like, in the beginning, I think... I did not understand choice. I did not understand free will. Yes. And it's like when your parents say, we won't let you go to any other college besides a fundamentalist college. And you know, when you want a good education that leaves very few choices. Mm-hmm. And like, and when you don't want to go to any of those places, there's no choice. You're putting a double bind. So like for me, it was like, go to a fundy college or stay in the IFB. What like, there's no choice. That's not, that's not a great, spectrum of options that you have in front of you <laughs> no when you yeah. like you don't want all, any of those things it's like when you want out of that system and you can't escape it and that's not choice and so that was something that's been frustrating as people are like oh just shut up you signed the covenant you knew what you were getting yourself into and it's like yes and no because there were yes i didn't have that choice i have bigger funding college but it's an environment where you are monitored always watched you, ne- you don't know who you can trust because it has this snitching culture in place. Yes. 
where which is also similar to Scientology. Yeah. It's also a culture of unspoken rules. Yes. There's a certain amount of decorum you're supposed to keep up with that you don't know exists until you get there. Mm-hmm. Until someone corrects you and says, oh, why are you doing this? Oh, my God. And I think also not, I wasn't aware of how hierarchical each mm. dorm would be the leadership yeah but be like each dorm was a cult in and of itself like the cults within the cult <laughs> and like the thing that was crazy to me about going to bob jones with all the monitoring with all the rules with even just the toxic culture there and like the constantly being busy through religious activities you're required to do and then you know forced to live on campus isolated from the outside world it was not as extreme as living under my parents' roof or being in the IFB. Yeah. And like, it's sad that Bob Jones wasn't as bad as what I grew up in. It was still awful, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't, I didn't have my parents breathing down my neck. Yes, there were still people monitoring, but they can only do so much. You know, they're not my parents. Right. (laughs) They're not my parents. I don't don't mind disappointing these people. (laughs) That's kind of what happened to me, right? I get there and I'm like, they were more, it was definitely more strict than my household especially where music and things like that were concerned. And, but it wasn't them. And when you're not with the people that you're trying to please, please. Yeah. Now I'm around people that I want to respect me, but I don't really deeply care about whether or not I'm making them that happy. And I can look at it from a bit more of a removed lens. And when you can step back from your emotional attachment to something and see it for what it is, it's a little bit easier to say this is bullshit. (laughs) Mm. And that's kind of an experience that I had when I went to Mm. Pensacola. Yeah, I was in a stricter environment. I was getting more preaching than I ever had in my life and more, you know, exposure to this ministry I thought I wanted to be a part of only to find out that I actually thought it was the worst thing in the entire world because I wasn't emotionally attached to it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It didn't give birth to me. That's I don't a, care about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's so true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like for me, like I was always a rule follower growing up. Mm-hmm, Love following the rules. Made me feel like I was better than everyone else. And it gave you that sense of certainty of, oh, I do this. God is pleased with me. But there's also that extreme shame when you didn't follow their like impossible standards of like perfection, really. And it got to the point where it's like, I realized like I, I growing up, I never like felt like I belonged. Like I did mm. everything I did to like be what they wanted me to be to play the role I was meant to play in that environment. But I never yeah. felt like I belonged, like I fit in, but I never belonged. Yeah. I didn't feel that sense of community. It was just always felt so out of place. Growing up, I was just this perfect person. And like, it's, it's so hard to do that. It is really hard. It's impossible. Yeah, it's impossible. It doesn't exist. It's neat that you got to Bob Jones and kind of had a similar experience, right? Like you're a little bit removed from it now. You feel like you're in a little bit of a safer place. You can kind of start to ease up. But you made it a long time. I I made it a year. I was there three and a half years. Three and a half years. (laughs) So you must have been struggling through that three and a half years to some degree. At least internally. Yes, internally. So going into it, like number one, I did not feel safe. Right. I was afraid for my safety as a gay person, did not want to be in that culture anymore, but I couldn't escape it. Worried about literally being hate crimed on this yeah. campus. Yeah. You know, because, you know, I went from a controlling environment into another controlling environment, different spectrums of control, but still both controlling. And 
again, the plan was in the beginning, do not be noticed. That didn't work out. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, like because for me, what made it hard to stay low was all the required activities. Mm. Chapel four days a week, being a part of a society, um, having discipleship groups that met like several nights a week, yeah. being forced to attend church twice a week where we had a list of churches that were they were approved churches we had to pick from and everything and then finally decide on one you know then we have bible conference every year but yeah so many things so yeah. many things but don't let your grades slip because then you're gonna get in trouble for that oh my god yes mm-hmm. and then in addition most of us we were like doing work study we were working trying to pay for our college studying going to classes doing all these projects papers and then all these different religious activities that continue the indoctrination. Like you didn't really have a weekend break because, mm-hmm. you know, people are trying to finish up homework on Saturday and everything. And maybe Saturday night they can relax a little, but then Sunday two church services. Well, in your downtime, you really should be memorizing more scripture because <sighs> if somebody ever magically comes out of nowhere and rips away your Bible, you won't have it unless it's memorized and hidden in your heart. So Way to waste your time, Andrew. Way to waste your Saturday night doing nothing for the Lord. How could you? <laughs> I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, yeah. So at that point, though, I was, I think another thing why I think looking back, it's like, oh, there wasn't a choice. I was so scared to go against what my parents wanted. Oh, yeah. Because that umbrella of authority that's throughout all the fundamentalist Christianity. Thank you, Bill Gothard, for that. But- mm-hmm. Well, and nobody wants to make their parents disappointed in them. Yeah. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? No, no one wants that. Yeah. I, mean, I think one of the hardest things my mom ever said to me was that she wasn't proud of me. Like, uh, that's not an easy thing to hear. Yeah. That's not an easy thing to process. Yeah. But sometimes pleasing them comes at a price yeah. that's too high to pay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's hard to hit that point, especially, I, I mean, it took me so long yeah. to get there. Yeah. yeah. So you make it three and a half years. You've been struggling through this. Yeah. And somewhere along the way, you just decide to stop laying so low because well, from what I know of you, your voice is too big. Your thoughts are too strong. You are a strong-willed person. You're a very smart person. And you're just like, what if I did this on the side a little bit? So tell me about like how you started interviewing people and like how you yeah. got to. So yeah, it, it is interesting because everyone always assumes, and it's funny when like people meet you on certain parts of your like personal growth journey, mm-hmm. like what they think of you. But it's interesting because growing up, I was like the shyest kid ever. I was so socially awkward, very soft-spoken, rarely talked. Like I was that kid where I was so quiet. People would ask, are you okay? Like, cause you were so quiet. But growing up, like there was definitely a part of me that would come up that like my intuition or maybe in psychology, they would call it the self, my mm-hmm. authentic self that they would try to repress and destroy because mm-hmm. you weren't supposed to get to know yourself because who you are is really evil and irrelevant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Less of us, more of Christ. Yeah. And so it was definitely like a journey of reclaiming or really starting to discover who I am because this is something in cults too is like there's so much isolation not just from the outside world but there's even isolation from people in the group because you can't communicate what you're actually feeling if it's going against what they teach and you're also so isolated from yourself because you are cut off from your internal system you're 
taught not to trust your thoughts. And I've, I've, I say this in many interviews. I, I heard this on the Indoctrination podcast, which I work for. I think Alexandra Stein said it, talked about these three levels of isolation. Mm-hmm. And it just clicked with me so much. All the levels of isolation going all the way to internal isolation. And so learning to get in touch with myself, that intuition, getting past that programming of, you know, you're not allowed to have your own thoughts that are different right. from our group. So those three and a half years at Bob Jones, again, since I knew I wanted to leave that environment, that helps me. So freshman year, first semester, I tried to follow every single rule perfectly and be what they wanted me to be. I'm like, just do what they want, play the role. You Fly under the radar. Yeah, you've done this yeah. your whole life. You can do it four more years. Right. And that of the first semester, I was so unhappy, so miserable. And I was lonely. I was so lonely. Mm. I was surrounded by so many people, but I felt so isolated. And it's because I couldn't connect with people because I could not be honest or authentic or vulnerable. Right. I could not trust people. And like, I was even scared to communicate. I don't like going here because that was a sign that you weren't a true Christian because right. true Christians would enjoy going to Bob Jones. Right. Oh, uh, so. Happy heart. Wow. so what happened was towards the end of my last semester the first rule i broke was on an accident and this rule was skipping church sunday morning i had slept in the dormitory on my freshman floor and they would clear out the dorms on the freshman floor and i think all dorms every sunday morning to make sure you were not in your room and you were going to church so i remember i woke up i sat up at the top of the bunk and i looked my roommates were gone and i realized oh my gosh like it's late. I'm not at church. And I hear the residence hall um, assistant checking every single room. I hear Oops. I hear doors open, close, open, close. And the sound gets closer and closer. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm just kind of like frozen there at the top of my bunk. And I'm like, so afraid. the person that's always been afraid to go against authority, afraid what would happen to me, like God would harm me. Like, oh, I have to obey authority. But what I did was I shoved the mattress away from the wall and I like slid between the wall and my bunk bed and I cover myself up with a blanket <laughs> and the person I hear the door open I hear them shuffle and kind of walk around looking checking the beds and I'm thinking mm-hmm. like I'm holding my breath and I'm like please don't hear me please mm-hmm. don't hear me and then I hear them close the door and I look up they're gone I'm just like oh. and I'm like oh my god that felt so good I'm <laughs> such a baddie Oh my God. And you are. I love it. <laughs> and so that was like the first moment. And after that, then I got that break from church. Mm. I didn't have church. And like breaking that routine that you're forced into. And it was like, my mental health was better. Yeah. For not going to a church that would just pummel my individuality and make me feel so mm-hmm. worthless. So after that semester, I'm like, I'm going to start learning. I'm going to work the system. I'm going to break the rules, but I'm mm-hmm. going to look like the perfect person that I've been my entire life. I'm like, I'm going to become, you know, from the rule breaker to the rebel. So it was just interesting. Like me starting to become my own person and really my own individuality in an environment that did not want that, that wanted to pummel that out of me. So mm-hmm. the next semester, I still, I learned to skip church because they, it was just an honor system. You just mm-hmm. signed a form saying, yeah, I went to church. Um, but that helped. And, you know, I would watch TV shows. They blocked streaming services that first year. They later didn't block them anymore. Interesting. Um, but I, I learned, I listened to the music that I wanted to, um, and was very careful about it and learned to just not, don't tell anyone that you're breaking the rules. That's what you learn. 
Cause it's, Live in secret. Yeah. Stay in the closet, if you will. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would literally hide in the closet some weeks to skip church. I would, like, so be behind. I would be behind my hamper, this nasty ass hamper, while I hear this person come in and check the bunks because they would never check the closets. And I would just be on my phone in the corner and just like doing whatever, waiting for them to come in and leave. And like my ass is numb and my legs are numb. And I'm trying to get the feeling back in my body as I get out of this closet hunched. I just love your commitment to this. I think this is amazing. (laughs) And like there were some weeks that. I would dress in a t-shirt and shorts and then cover that with dress clothes and then walk off campus and go to a nearby park and chill there for in the morning. Yeah. So relaxing. Yeah. And like, and also I was like, oh, like I can't submit any homework during the time I'm supposed to be at church. I can't be on their network anytime I'm supposed to be in church. Like what if they saw that during this time? And like, you know, they could see that they can Mm -hmm. monitor that. But my second semester, my mental health though did really struggle and it was because even like during all of my freshman year, I was harassed a lot by guys on my dorm who noticed me, who noticed that I stood out. I think I Mm -hmm. thought that I could hide that I was gay, but I think it was really obvious. So obvious on that campus, at least. Maybe. I mean, anything that's outside of their very cookie cutter version of what a human being is supposed to be stands out. That's true. So maybe it's not that you necessarily stood out as gay, but like, you just didn't fit that mold did very not. well. And no. very few people I tried did. so hard to fit it. Oh, <laughs> I tried yeah. my best my whole life. Which sometimes makes it worse, it honestly. Because then people think you're a tryhard. <laughs> I was layering up I on the problem. I was a tryhard. Yeah, yeah, so yeah me too. Me too. Um, but yeah, so I was just dealing with this toxic system of control at every turn. And another thing was I was followed twi- um, twice that I knew of by staff. Mm, I was followed. And so then it's like, that made me not want to leave campus at all. Um, And that happened my freshman year. And it was because I would leave campus so much, which I didn't, it was during the day. I didn't have to tell anyone what I was doing if I was going to come back for curfew or for discipleship groups. But it was just concerning, I guess, to some staff that I left so much. And I think one Sunday, I think a teacher saw me not in church walking across the street because a teacher confronted me about it. And I think they reported it to my dorm supervisor, then my dorm supervisor dorm supervisor followed me once and then my residence assistant followed me once also interesting oh god so yeah that made me want to be isolated and stay on campus uh, and that happened my freshman year but yeah so i was struggling a lot with my mental health i didn't have that true community i was repressing my authentic self trying to play this role be this perfect soldier for christ which is what they wanted and get an education yeah get somewhere like, in the middle all of all these that. things and like being <laughs> gay in this environment and, and you know i was being followed by staff i was being harassed and followed around by these dicks yeah <laughs> at the campus and so like i was like just struggling with all these things and then struggling with trauma from my past and then not knowing how to navigate those difficult hard emotions or not even knowing how to identify those it was just like read your bible pray read your bible pray but I knew that wasn't working for me, but it's like, what is, how do you deal with this? Right. And the environment, it doesn't, they don't teach you how to deal with your emotions. You repress no. them. You just, that's, you're just not allowed to experience that part of yourself at all. Right. Right. Uh, and so for me, like it just, depression was something I struggled with a lot during my teen years. And it was something that like, I didn't understand why looking back, I'm like, oh, um, religious trauma, um, <laughs> uh, developmental needs not met. Um, oh yeah. My parents were abusive. <laughs> oh, wow. 
Yeah, just a, there's a lot going on. There's there. a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot, and like, that's the thing about like in these fundamentalist families, like you are abused and you're told that it's love, and exactly. it's so twisted and so confusing. It is very confusing. So much, and so like again, grappling with those things but not knowing it, dealing with all this, um, all the Bob, like everything going on at Bob Jones that I was dealing with, and like I got to the point of being very suicidal. And just like, it got like, it was like rock bottom. It's like fundamentalist Christianity. Like this is hell. Like that was my hell. (laughs) Fundamentalist Christianity. Yeah. And it was like, I didn't, like, I didn't have hope. I'm like, I have no idea. Like, how am I going to escape this? I want out of here, but I don't know how. I don't know anyone on the outside. And I just felt like so, again, so worthless. Like I didn't deserve love, that I didn't deserve anything good, that I should Mm -hmm. be grateful and just conform obey these authority figures and so it just got to the point where i did nearly take my own life like it Mm. really got that far and i called a hotline and they helped me through it but i never told bob jones about it oh of course i was so scared if they found out because it would be so much worse i would have been forced into biblical counseling where they would tell me the same things that i've been told my entire life oh and they tell your family you would have a stigma on you and yeah Mm, so yeah it just it got really bad and i think it was just so sad that I had to get to rock bottom to fully start claiming my autonomy. Mm, <laughs> that's, that's what it's such a thing. That's what it ha- came to. For, so for me, I got a journal and I was like, what do I need? What do I need right now? I'm like, because at that point I was still like a Christian. I wasn't fundamentalist, but I was always taught just trust, wait, be patient, be still like God will answer. Mm. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm gonna do something. I'm tired of being so fucking passive and yes. waiting on this God to do something. And I want, you know, I want to create the life that I want. I don't want this life. My parents they wrote literally wrote my entire life for me. They knew what they wanted me to be, and they controlled every aspect of my life. And so, like, I don't want this. Like, I they wrote this out for me, but I want to rip up the pages and I want to write my own story. I love this. Your intuition for things is so strong, and I love that you started to trust it so yes and early like, on yes and like that's the thing that's my strongest personality trait is intuition but that mm-hmm. was something i repressed so much it would come up i didn't know what it was but if it went against what they taught oh that's bad that's satan repress yeah. that yeah. so they just turn you on yourself yeah my intuition is also a very strong mm-hmm. personality or like a strong trait that i have yeah. but it's taken me an extremely long time to get to where I'm like, oh, that's what that is. And I can trust that. And that's okay. And everything's going to work out mm-hmm. rather than the fear of like, well, it's not going to work out. So yeah. I should probably just force it into this. Mm. So I love hearing that you just grabbed your notebook and you were like, what do I need right now? Yeah. And you started there because that is an excellent place to start because that's getting to know yourself, right? Yes. So I love that. Yes. So you started doing that. And what what are some of the things that that like that led to? Yeah. So through all the pain and everything that I was going through, I'm like, I need community. Yes. That's the one thing. Like I remember like writing community and like circling it over and over again. Like yeah. this is what I need. And like, you know, I, you're not in that environment. You don't have really healthy relationships. Yeah. And so I was like, I need a place where I can just express what I'm actually feeling, even if I'm mm-hmm. not the best at communicating that we're just, I can be human yeah. and someone can accept me for that and not tell me that I'm spiritually inferior or not trusting enough and not believing enough just to be with me in my humanity mm-hmm. and to listen to me. And just, you know, as human beings, we need that genuine connection. And again, it's like 
true community is where you are seen, heard, and understood. And I say this mm. so much, but I, I didn't have that growing up. I wasn't seen, heard, or understood. No. I was, you, no, you were not in that environment. Yeah. On a good day, you're lucky to be seen. Oh, yeah. You are. <laughs> and so... And in the true community, you're accepted for every part of yourself. Not, mm. oh, you're accepted for this, but you have to deny this or get rid of this. Every part of yourself is um, accepted and embraced, and you're able mm. to express that. But, you know, obviously, I didn't know that then, but, like, I knew, I'm like, I just need to express myself. I just need to just be human. And so I was like, okay, where do I find that? All right, well, probably not going to find it at Bob Jones. Probably not. And so here I am, my entire life, just consumed in fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. The IFB and Bob Jones, not knowing anyone on the outside. And I was scared of the outside world. I was, it was just the unknown. It was just, I was always taught that like they were influenced and under the control of Satan. And they, you know, they weren't aware of it. They were servants of Satan or they were children of Satan. So very like that us versus them mentality, that demonization of the outside. And so I was scared. I was like... And that's what made me feel so hopeless was that these people, they were supposed to have love. They were the ones that had true love because they were saved and they had the Holy Spirit right. and no one else could love besides them. But it, for me, I'm like, this is not love. Definitely not. I'm like, this is just, I'm like, if this is love, like kill me now because this is terrible. <laughs> this is the worst. This feeling. is the worst. Yeah. So I was like, I just had to like, again, that intuition. So I was like, you know what? I am going to explore the outside for the first time. I'm like, I feel uncomfortable. I feel awkward, but I'm, I want to go into the unknown. Um, and so I ended up, long story short, finding a progressive affirming church. And I ended up meeting a family. Mm -hmm. And this, I told them, about, told them about my situation and how you know, I just wanted a community, a safe space to come here every week. And that I was from Bob Jones and how controlling it was. And they told me, they're like, hey, we live across the street from Bob Jones University. Amazing. They're like, we can take you to this church every week. So that's what they would do. And I eventually, once like we built that relationship and they trusted me, they're like, here's a key to our house this is our address. You can, I could literally would walk to their house. It was that close. So I would walk to their house and I could watch TV without being worried. I could be oh. in their house without worrying about anything. And eventually they invited me for dinners and different things and got to know me. And so it was like, it was my safe haven, my safe space. And just, and the thing that blew my mind from like being in the IFB was they did not believe in the gospel. They did not believe Jesus was God. They believed in historical Jesus, but they didn't believe that Jesus was God. They didn't accept, you know, the, the gospel of Jesus dying on the cross for people's sins. They didn't believe that. But yet, these were the most loving people I had met. Mm. But yet, they didn't believe what my parents believed in the IFB, which was the truth. And, you know, you could only be loving if you were from that environment. But again, mm -hmm. that cognitive dissonance of, I was taught this, but they're the opposite of what I was told these people would be like on the outside who did not conform to this doctrine or these beliefs. So it was like, then they started to realize, I'm like, oh my gosh, like they lied or they're wrong <laughs> about yeah. this. And like I re on my podcast, um, speaking up, which I will get into some later, a guest recently just said something so powerful. It's like forcing beliefs on someone doesn't really like personal level doesn't change them. It might change them on the outside level, but you know, cause they're conforming, but like right. on a deeper level, like genuine love changes people, not telling them who to be, how to act, not forcing beliefs on them, not trying to convert them, just genuine unconditional love mm. that changes people. It's true. 
Yeah. And so that just like blew my mind because that's, that's what changed everything for me was experiencing that unconditional love for people outside the group that, oh, there is possibility because that's the thing with cults. And this is something I learned in Stephen Hassan's book, Combating Cult Mind Control. It's called Phobia Indoctrination. They paint the outside world as such an awful place. They make it seem, the outside seems so terrible that it doesn't matter how bad it gets on the inside, the outside will always be worse. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that was so ingrained in me from the IFB Mm -hmm. and even at Bob Jones. But thankfully I was able to break through that and then experience the cognitive dissonance of like that being a lie when I experienced it outside. But that was such a turning point. And what was really eye-opening to me was that, you know, a few weeks before I was so suicidal and like hopeless and ready to take my life, but then being in an affirming environment and, and in, and in an affirming chosen family, my mental health was suddenly was so much better. There's hope there. There's hope, there's healing and like there's love. A little bit, just a tiny bit of freedom. Yes. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, I was told you have to read your Bible and pray to fix your mental health, but oh, I'm a human with needs. And I... (laughs) Turns out taking a break does a lot for you. (laughs) Yes. And so from that point on, like, I know I had still considered myself a Christian. So flash forward, coming back sophomore year, I came back to Bob Jones and thankfully in a new dorm away from the people who were harassing me. And um, I had changed my major from cinema to visual studies and mm-hmm. focusing in photography and like digital media yeah. kind of stuff. And I was like, which was made me really happy. I enjoyed it so much. Yeah. Um, and, um, it was definitely like dreading going back to Bob Jones, but still like grateful to be in contact and be a part of that chosen family. And so that sophomore year, that was the first year actually that like I made like a best friend at Bob Jones for someone that I could be actually authentic and real with. That's great. And so I was grateful for that. That really helped make it a lot better at least, but there was still like just the routine, the toxic culture, the monitoring, the snitching, just oh, all these different things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I knew like it was just, Oh God, it was painful and hard to get through. And then that semester I ended up basically kind of getting, I mean, I don't want to call it a relationship, but I just, I'll call it that to make it easier. A situation shit. A situation shit. We'll call it it that. Looking back, I didn't realize it then, but like it turned into a narcissistic abusive relationship. Mm, That's very common. Yes. Which I've learned as I've gotten out, but because you're, you are literally groomed because you come from a narcissistic authoritarian abusive system. And then you enter into these narcissistic authoritarian relationships because it's familiar. You're drawn to that because you know it, you know how to handle it. it. It's what you've seen. It's what you've heard. It's what you know. Yeah. It makes sense. And so again, like this authoritarian, like this narcissistic person who's very like authoritarian, just making me feel like I was absolutely worthless and a piece of shit Mm -hmm. and breaking me down. Like, that, I, that had been done to me my entire life. Different people, my parents, pastors, mm. Sunday school teachers, all these different things. Like I, It was familiar. But thankfully, I was able to get away from that person as they revealed a lot of darker parts of themselves. And that was just such an interesting thing to me because narcissists, they will accuse you of everything they are. Yes, it's amazing to me. It's happened to me a few times and I'm like, wow. This is some grade A ninja bullshit you're pulling on me right now. 
Oh my God. It was just insane to me. Cause I was like, and like, I didn't have like the strength at that time to call that out, but good. I knew it. I'm like, wait, it took me a little bit, but I was like, they're accusing me of everything they are. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, I, I'm sure there's some kind of term for that, but I don't know it, but it's just so insane. And so that was something that was really hard to deal with. And then I had to avoid this person at all costs mm-hmm. on campus because I was like, I cannot, like, no, like this person is dangerous. Just some things that I, they revealed to me and I found out about them. I was like, oh my God, I cannot be. So that was so hard dealing with that, having to avoid that person again. But thankfully I saw that family and kept in contact with them. But I think it was that second semester. So it was early 2020. This is, you know, this is my sophomore year still mm-hmm. COVID mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and that changed so much for me and like obviously the entire world, it changed so much. Um, but yeah, so at that point, things were starting to get a little better, of course, like still dealing with that toxic person that I'm trying to avoid, but I was starting to make friends, starting to have like a, a friend group that I started to have fun with. And like, you know, we would go out to eat at times after artist series, which mm-hmm. I think at PCC, they might call it fine art performances yeah. or I don't know. I can't remember what it was called, but it was, it was similar. Vibe. Yeah. So it was like this required, um, production, whether it was like a, a concert, like, you know, like a classical kind of concert or a play or some kind of music or whatever that played, it was supposed to be for like cultural education. Yes. Huh. Of an approved nature. <laughs> yes, yes. And so we, I think, if I remember it right, there was at least one required a month in the semester, at least. If I remember mm-hmm. at least probably like three a semester, we were required to these events that usually lasted two hours long. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and afterwards, it was common for everyone to go off campus in your car with friends and to go out to eat somewhere. And like, you didn't have much time. That's the thing that sucked about it. You didn't have much time to be back in time for curfew. So you maybe, you maybe had two hours and maybe also an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was just starting to find that groove with it. And then, you know, obviously still dealing with other toxic elements, but like finding those friends made it more bearable. I think. Good. Uh, It's still awful. But then all of a sudden, you know, I remember, I think it was January or February hearing about like COVID starting to become an issue in the U.S. And at the time when I started hearing about it, I'm like, oh, I'm sure like they'll get things under control. I'm sure, tr- I'm sure Trump will be smart about it. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Boy, did you have a lot to learn. <laughs> no, I did. I was like, at that point, I was like, surely, surely Trump will like shut down flights and close the borders so that this will not spread everywhere. And like, we, no, no, no. So COVID happened Mm -hmm. and the country was shutting down and I was just watching it. And again, like my rapture anxiety is like sky high at this point um, with the pandemic happening. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, oh, well, like surely they won't shut down the university. They shut down the university. So we were all forced to go back to our homes, Mm -hmm. forced to change to online school and to make this adjustment and that was, it was really hard doing that, going back in that environment with my parents, literally yeah. isolated from the outside world in a different way <laughs> still. Yeah, and you didn't have your safe family. No, not at all. So it's going yeah. in this toxic family dynamic and experiencing a, a, a deeper form of isolation than mm-hmm. I had experienced before. I was just, it was really terrible on mental health. And like that summer, like I entered like a really, really deep, deep depression. And it was that point where... I had to get on medication because mm. I had, I, my parents would not let me in the past, like 
there was a part of me that knew that there were issues from my past, but it's like, I, this is so overwhelming. Like I need medication to just keep my head above water to stay afloat. And my parents had always been anti-medication. So basically I was able to, I really manipulated them just to get on it. I was like, I literally said, I want to quit my job. I'm not going to go back to Bob Jones. I'm going to be in my bed all day long, all night, not do anything. Cause I'm that so depressed. Like it's just indescribable to say like how I'm feeling about this, but like yeah. that's, that like got their attention and I got on medication. It was definitely rough adjusting, like finding the right dose, the right kind of medicine to adjust, but like it helped keep my head above water. But like, I knew like it wasn't going to heal the trauma right. inside me, but it was going to help keep me afloat. And I remember that was my third year then going back to Bob Jones, still struggling with depression, trying to navigate the balance of medication. Bob Jones didn't help my mental health, of course. Of course not. It, it worsened in that environment and, you know, dealing with everything with COVID, dealing with the Bob Jones toxicity, my own trauma and everything. It just, again, it just got really, I had a mental health crisis and long story short, I ended up meeting with a biblical counselor there. Mm-hmm. And this was, yeah, third semester. This was fall of 2020. And basically after I, I just spilled everything out to this person. I was like, I'm not holding back. I'm just, I'm tired of holding it in. And mm-hmm. if, this, if this gets me kicked out, whatever. But it actually, this is not the thing that got me kicked out, surprisingly. But yeah, I, I revealed my sexuality and just a lot of the toxic teachings and the way people had treated me growing up, um, things my parents had done and said. And at the end of all of that, you know, this person knowing I'm in a mental health crisis, that I'm feeling suicidal, it's like, oh, I see how you've been paying for your sin. It's just, it never ends. There's no stopping them from the insanity. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's. And like, I think for me, that was like the last straw for me. And so that was the point where I was just, I told this person, yeah, I don't know if I want to believe in this anymore. And with biblical counselors, they can't meet with you. They're told you can't, they can't meet with you. You don't believe. Yeah. So this counselor's like, I don't know if I can meet with you anymore because you said you don't believe. So here he is. Oh, good. That's probably a relief. It to probably you. was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and but long story short, we didn't meet again that semester. But he did. I ended up getting COVID that semester, and he gave me this book to read while I was in quarantine. Okay. And it was about an ex-gay. Oh Jesus yes. Christ! Oh my God! Yeah. I I shredded the book. Um, later I, I did read it but later i, I shredded that it. was cathartic it was so cathartic good but it was basically this person like i'm saved from homosexuality and then it, then in the end oh yeah by the way i still have homosexual desires yeah well <laughs> turns out you can't pray the game <laughs> yeah so <laughs> but then it was i was just so broken as a person just through everything i had been through that the next semester i had like a, i put this in air quotes reconversion experience it was mm, very emotional it happens a lot. and like and I, looking back i see how like in that environment it, mo- it models like i said earlier a narcissistic abusive relationship there mm-hmm. are times where you are love bombed there are times you're like just beaten down and so it, there was a sermon at bob jones where it was just like filled with so much love and compassion there was no shame there was no blame and like feelings mm-hmm. of worthlessness that i was used to hearing it just caught me off guard and at the core like i needed love genuine connection and so it just overpowered me and it felt like a spiritual experience. It was looking back and just, that was emotional manipulation. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, like after it happened, I then texted that guy like, oh, I just got saved, blah, blah, blah. But then like it was a few days later, I'm like, that was an emotional high. Like that was emotional manipulation. Like that right. wasn't real. It was the first like, and I had like 
gotten saved so many times throughout my life just to make sure I got it right. Oh, yeah, because the fear that you didn't do it right is so real. It is. It is because, yeah. and the thing is, like, if you are truly saved in that environment, you are supposed to happily, like outwardly and internally conform. And if you don't, that's a sign you're not saved. So right. that's just another form of control and just right. manipulation in there. But, right. oh. So I'm really kind of surprised that that's not the thing that got you launched out. No. and So what did? <laughs> Long story short, I continued to meet with that counselor knowing that, oh, this is emotional manipulation. I don't conform to this. I don't believe it. But I was discipled by this person. And so I wanted to know, like, really know the ins and the outs before I left, you know, really start to learn it. And eventually though, this counselor wanted to turn it into conversion therapy. Mm. Cause he's like, Oh, you have the Holy spirit. The Holy spirit can change you. We can change your sexuality. So at the end of that semester, that was the second semester of junior year, which would have been the spring of 2021. I was like it, when it switched to conversion therapy, it was just one session of that was enough. Like, I don't remember what happened in the session. I remember walking in the room, I remember leaving the room, but not what happened inside. And when I left, I just felt this feeling like I felt the suicidal ideation coming back. I felt heavy. I just felt anxiety and like, like God wouldn't love me until I got rid of this or I wasn't acceptable as I got rid of this. But at that point, I'm like, my intuition was strong enough to know this is not okay. This is not right. Yeah. So I'm like, we are leaving this belief system because my mental health is more important than this. Yeah. Like I don't deserve this. Right. I deserve better. And that's the thing that was such a crucial point for me to know that I deserve better because you're taught that you don't deserve anything yeah. good. And so I decided to deconvert. So that summer, just like digging into ev anything and everything I could to just disprove fundamentalist Christianity, mm. like digging into inerrancy, creationism, all these different things. So long story short, I deconverted that summer, which was actually really fucking shitty. People think yeah. it was really awful. You're coming off of a drug. Yes. And it feels lonely. It's painful. If you're uncertain. And you're super uncertain because if this answer to this big life question isn't the answer anymore, what is? Mm -hmm. It's a tough place to and be when you've been certain your entire life. Yes. And like that was the summer that I found the term religious trauma. Yeah. And that was so validating and eye-opening for me. I was like, what religion can cause trauma? Mm -hmm. But, you know, it seemed obvious you know, looking back, but at that time you're indoctrinated to not question. You're taught that, oh, you're the problem. You need to believe more. You mm -hmm. need to trust more. And so once it's like, again, it's like questioning that authority. Yeah. That was so such a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. Being able to question all of it yeah. that I was not allowed to, that authority, authority figures, authority of the Bible. And like no longer, it was like the wool was just removed from my eyes and... I went back to Bob Jones the fall of 2021, my senior year, mm -hmm. knowing that I am I do not identify as a Christian because I don't agree with the, you know, I don't believe the gospel. I don't believe all these fundamentalist teachings at all. And it was so hard. It's just, I felt so disillusioned. Like I finally like crossed over that line. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Not like hopping back, back and forth, like in my mind for so long. And so I'm, I'm, I was at Bob Jones knowing that I, left Christianity and I'm like, oh my God, like I shouldn't be here anymore. And like, this is so yeah. awful. I hate this. Yeah. And like, you know, still grappling with the trauma and like being triggered over and over again because of just the toxic messages that they would have, the control and just all their toxic culture they have there and the monitoring. But I decided that semester to start creating a photo series that portrayed religious trauma and my journey through that. Because at a Christian college, what happens is students usually create art 
that reflects the beliefs and the doctrines mm-hmm. and that can and glorifies God. Yes. I was like, no, I'm going to create a series that details my journey of dealing with religious trauma and this isolated environment. Yeah. And so the series is this person locked away in the room and all they have is religion. And, you know, the beginning shot is like looking through a keyhole and them locked in the room. Mm. But throughout the series, the person has a key on their neck. Mm-hmm. And so in the end, the person learns what a key is. Mm-hmm. And so really to me, that represented in my mind, like autonomy. Cool. And so, you know, this person, all they had was this room but they had to learn to explore the outside, which, you know, with cults, like it's nearly impossible to leave. They make it as hard mm-hmm. as possible to leave. So, so difficult. So many things in place. And the thing, um, a misconception people have about cults is that they think that they physically keep you there. Yeah. And the thing is, though, that's not accurate. There's so many high exit costs. Like you lose so much. So much. That it's... It, it makes it nearly impossible to leave. And so mm-hmm. thankfully, because I had explored that outside, I had those connections. I had, you know, I literally, I lived a double life at Bob Jones, yeah. no one knowing I had contact with people outside of this system of control. And so when I made this photo series, this was fall of 2021, I, and I did it in secret. I was like, I knew that I wanted to share with the world and I wanted to share my story because it helped me process a lot. And also what really helped me make this series was that I had been writing my experiences down since like, I think it was, yeah, it was my freshman year of college. I just started typing things out and it turned into the first draft of my memoir, which I'm still working on. <laughs> Um, but that helps me process a lot of things, get things in like order in my mind. And because once I like wrote most of the first draft, I was like, oh my God, like this is a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No wonder you're struggling with all of this. Like all that you've been through, you're like these 22, nearly 22 years of your life in this environment. It was just looking at it. It was just like, oh my God. Wow. I just never like looked at it that way before. It was, I always shamed myself like, oh, Mm -hmm. like you should just oh, get over it, or mm-hmm. oh, it's not that big of a deal. Like, oh, other people have it worse. Like those just shame-based things you were taught. So I decided that I was going to share this series and publicly share my story yeah. while at Bob Jones University. Bold. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was it was a hard decision. But again, it was a lot of people have asked, like, why would you do that? That's so dumb. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I would say is intuition. Mm-hmm. I did it because my intuition, my into like a you know, I have a strong intuition, but it was, I had never experienced it so strongly until that point. Like there was a part of me that almost didn't do it. And, you know, doing the interview with Josh Harris, who wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye and denounced Christianity publicly, a big figure in Christianity. Yeah. That was a huge recanting. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I admired him though, because he was willing to admit, oh, I did wrong i caused harm i apologize for it that's something you don't see in christianity at all no (laughs) never it was a big deal i remember seeing that he had taken it all back and being so amazed because that book shaped Hmm. dating for thousands and thousands of christians Hmm. in a way that was not good i for anyone but it was especially hard on women Mm. yeah and i think that i took it a little personally (laughs) So I was really Actually, excited to see him come back and be like, oh, you know what? Yeah. I fucked up. Yeah. Like, yeah, you fucking did. <laughs> Say and, it again. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes. Oh my God. And yeah, so it was just, it was. You did that interview on Instagram live? I did. That I was, love that. Yeah, that was in, it was so scary too. That was in January of 2022. So This I'll, is not that long ago. I know. It's like we're creeping up on two years ago. Like I can't believe that. Amazing. Wow. And um, somebody saw it. Yeah. yeah. So. So that's how you got kicked yeah, out was the seeing. The yeah. Scene. Um, it. yeah, but it was just, I, you know, I would still do it again. That's because a good way to go down though. It is. Go down being bold. Publicly going out against <laughs> fundamentalism. With somebody who publicly went against the faith. I love Oh, I know. It's a lot. Yeah. A lot of good. A lot. Yeah. And I would still do it again because there was a moment I almost didn't do it. But when, you know, that logical part of me was like, oh, just just finish. That's a logical thing to do. There was like that part of me, that intuition or, mm-hmm. or maybe like psychology would call it like this self, like this yes. part of me that was not part of my regular consciousness, normal consciousness. That was like a literally a voice in my mind was like, you need to do this. Like I heard it, like it wasn't a part of my normal, I don't That's know cool. thing. It was really a creepy moment or weird. I was like, Oh my God. Mm-hmm. What That's is how that? I started this podcast was something that would not leave me alone. Just that nagging, like you got to do it. Like why? That sounds really hard. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. gotta do it. And so I did it. And yeah, I was kicked out my last semester. I was fired from all of my jobs. Mm. I lost so many of my friends from that environment, lost mm. all my career connections. So it's like literally starting my life over. But yeah. thankfully, um, that family, that chosen family, they saw the interview before I was kicked out and they called me. They were like, we think you're going to be expelled. Like you're <laughs> like, we see that coming from a mile away. Yeah. So you're free to move in with us. You don't have to be in that environment anymore and, you know, rebuild That's your amazing. life. I'm so glad that oh, happened. Yeah. And so for me, it was like, when that happened, I was like, you know what? Things have been working out perfectly. The universe has been working this out. And it's like, you know what? If I'm going to be able to have these resources and now, you know, and now I'm free from it. I can say whatever I want. I'm That's not, right. I'm not going to be quiet. That's right. I'm not going to stay quiet. Why? For why? <laughs> oh, You've gosh. already said it out loud. I did. Might as well keep doing it. And so that's why speaking up was so powerful to me because growing up, I didn't speak up. I was silenced. I suffered yeah. in silence. And yeah. so I was excommunicated, shunned because I started speaking up. And that's what, it was like a moment of just so much growth for me. So that's why I started the speaking up podcast. Or really, it started out as Instagram lives. I would just, I called it speaking up and I would interview different people. But I'm yeah. like, it was just wasn't sustainable. And I was yeah. like, let's do a podcast. I don't know how to make a podcast. I don't know how to do it. But let's just learn as we go, make a lot of mistakes. And I just, and it was just so healing to me to do it too, to come out of this and to find people that are like, me too, me too. And like, I yeah. made so many friends that way by just interviewing other survivors from religions or cults or high control groups. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a project that I think it is for me, I am probably going to like, end soon because i feel a calling now yeah to specifically create a podcast which i mean i i just finished creating a podcast called surviving bob jones university a christian cult i'm super excited about it so Um, you've got four episodes out as of this yes four episodes out and like this is the first interview where 
I'm done with it. Like I, I finished the series. It's a limited podcast, Surviving Bob Jones University, a Christian cult. And it just covers the totality of mm. Bob Jones University. It covers the history, politics, psychology of fundamentalism, the criteria oh for cults and survivors' experiences across the many aspects of Bob Jones University. So much, so much. Somebody needs to pick up your podcast with you as a documentary. That's something. He said, yeah, okay, absolutely. So th- that's actually, I, I didn't, I wasn't going to say it, but that is something that me and a couple of other survivors were, we're trying to make happen. I love that. We're, we're talking about it and I'm making a list of filmmakers to reach Good. out to. We, we want a documentary BJU survivors. We want a documentary absolutely. and we're going to do everything we can to get it. Get it. <laughs> it, could, it would be, I think people would be fascinated by oh, it. Yeah. I think I think if people think the Duggars are interesting, they're gonna love Bob Jones University. <laughs> oh my god! Like it's I started planning this podcast in you know March of twenty twenty three, and you know I knew Bob Jones was harmful, but I have learned so much this year about Bob Jones University yeah. that like I'm excited because there are things that the public needs to know about, and they Absolutely. are gonna find out about. I think oh even God. our local public, I'm really oh, yes. excited that you have the Greenville News article coming out yes. on Monday because mm-hmm. I don't know that the local public realizes how deeply they're involved in local politics mm. and state politics oh my God. and yes. national politics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know if you remember, they fast-tracked that woman through a master's Ellen degree. Ellen Weaver, yes. Oh we cover it in the God. podcast. Good. Oh, I'm yeah. excited to learn more. I only know kind of the surface level of it, yeah. but I just remember thinking... You know, you you grow up around people who are telling you, you can't cheat, you can't lie, you can't. And then you watch them do it to get what they want. And you're like, okay, so you can do it, but nobody else can do it. Okay, I got it. Understood. Yeah. (laughs) It just blows my mind to see the hypocrisy come Mm. out in such a bold way. Yeah. Because everybody knew it. Like, Mm -hmm. if you paid attention even a little bit. Yeah. She got a fast track master's degree because it was a requirement for her position. Yeah. She's, I think, like the superintendent of education of South Carolina. Mm. It's almost like Bob Jones as an educational institute might have a vested interest in having somebody with one of their master's degrees that they gave to her on a, an expedient basis Yes, would have some serious interest in it. I don't know. I just blew my mind. Yeah. So I'm glad you talk about that. And I'm glad you talk about the history too, because I don't know that people realize how long oh it's been a major player. So it was founded in 1927. It's almost 100 years old. It's almost 100 years old, yeah. And it has made a big impact in that time, which is their goal. Yeah, it is, yeah. And I think a lot of the people that are involved in the rise of Christian nationalism now went to, were involved with, or are very fond of Bob Jones. Yeah. Huge deal. An interesting thing is Bob Jones University has his roots in white supremacy. Bob Jones Sr., had connections with the Ku Klux Klan, and that's documented. Mm-hmm. So, and he knew someone named Bib Graves, who was in the Ku Klux Klan, and a dormitory was named after him. Graves, it was, that was a dorm. Now they changed it. Finally, it took them a long. Like I think mm-hmm. it did it in the late two thousands. They changed it because people are like, "Why do you have a dorm named after a white supremacist?" Oh, it's almost like that's weird. Yeah. It's almost like you shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I know. And like, I think there are just 
there's so many aspects of this podcast of like shining light or like pulling back the curtain on Bob Jones University that people would not know about. There were things of like the level of abuse that happened that went on that I was just not aware of. Like the Grace Report is a big part of BJU scandals. Mm. Grace is an organization that stands for godly response to abuse in the Christian environment. And they investigate Christian environments with abuse allegations. And Mm -hmm. they released a damning report of Bob Jones in 2014. And I spent, I I read the whole thing. I highlighted all, it was was 300 pages. Good gracious. I read it, I highlighted it. And I read the highlights for an hour and a half on an episode because I'm like, that's how important I think the public needs to know about how these victims were treated when they Mm -hmm. came forward about sexual abuse and how they, a lot of them were discouraged and really told not to come forward or go to the police, just to forgive, forget, and all these different things and not given the help that they needed to deal with their trauma. So the podcast, you know, it it digs into the history, um, the politics, the teachings, the rules, the toxic culture. Uh, It digs into the leadership, the control, um, the daily life, their approach to mental health. There's a whole episode on their biblical counseling model. Oh my gosh, it exposes so much of that. And then there's an episode that's just actually two episodes of Queer Survivors telling their stories Good. and then there's a sort uh, of episode for like women sharing their experiences they're interesting and also this, a survivor who came forward who was interviewed for the grace report sharing her experiences of that and like she she was raised she was born on campus and raised on campus and was there her whole life wow. like she was in it like she had so much to lose when coming forward about it yeah, she's such a, oh she's so incredible her name is Erin Birchwell oh and we're friends now and I love her so much Yay. um but um uh, yeah and then there's an episode that covers like being a person of color at BJU mm. because for me it, to do this podcast I wanted to like investigate the totality of Bob Jones University but also from diverse experiences because intersectionality I feel like was so important with this of understanding mm-hmm people with different overlapping social identities, how they were affected by this environment. And then there's an episode that's literally just survivor stories because there were some incredible stories that like didn't fit the categories that I had. And I was like, this has to be in the podcast. There were some stories that I was just like, people are just gonna be completely shocked when they hear it. And they're like, Mm -hmm. that's all I'm gonna say about it. Just some mind blowing stories about some people experienced at Bob Jones University. And then there's another episode, which is last second, but I kind of saw it come to fruition as I was making the podcast was a episode just on former faculty of what that was like for them so Camille Lewis she's on that episode and um, David Deschenko but yeah Camille oh my gosh she gives a lot of insights she is brilliant yes yeah, I'm her. excited to get to know her. Um, and then, yeah, I'm trying to think. There's like, it's kind of a, it's a long, limited series, but I felt it was necessary to get everything. And because this is the first time that someone has done this about Bob Jones, and it's really the first podcast that really has gone in depth and do a Christian college from this mm-hmm. perspective of it like being harmful, of it being a cult. So I'm excited for people to listen and learn and um, help more survive BJU survivors come forward. But yeah, and like I'm trying to remember, um, I know like there's an episode on like leaving and recovering because I feel like that was so mm, important like to go is. through all these hard things. I'm like, okay, let's talk about like recovering from this. And then, mm. you know, there's an episode where I do a cult analysis. I use Stephen Hassan's bite model and I use um, 
Lipton's criteria for thought reform to analyze Bob Jones University. So I do that. And then I sent my analysis to a couple of cult experts. So Rachel Bernstein, who I actually work for, and then Daniela Messinek Young, who she is a, um, a scholar of cults. She recently graduated from Harvard and she survived the children of God sex cult. Mm, Um, So she's been through a lot. So they see my analysis and they, they give their opinions of Bob Jones university and they have a lot of insights. That's the longest episode in the series. It's nearly two hours long. Fascinating though. Oh my God. Yeah. It's a long episode, but I think it's so fascinating and so worth it. Cause like I was going to cut more of it, but I'm like, Oh, these are so many good nuggets and things like, I'm like, we need this. And then, um, the finale is just me just sharing my thoughts and how it relates to society at large mm-hmm. and talking about Bob Jones, also their influence because Bob Jones university, like the, the podcast was meant to just cover Bob Jones university, but something we cover with different survivors is that Bob Jones influence is beyond that school. It is. They it's have huge. thousands of churches across the U S they have mm-hmm. all these different BJ like Bob Jones schools. And when I say Bob Jones schools, I mean like a Bob Jones university grad runs it. Yes. And they use the BJU Press. Yes, BJU curriculum. Press curriculum. Oh yeah. my god! And like their theology and different things. And like there are different camps that are like that BJU grads have, like the Wilds. Yep, That's... I was an attendee there. So it's just it. And like I've had survivors come forward and say I experienced abuse at this Bob Jones Church, mm-hmm. and so many people coming forward. So that is why I'm so excited that. The Surviving BJU podcast, it was the vision was always for it to be a limited podcast, and that's what it will be. Once it's done with its episodes by September 13th, you know, it'll be now like it'll be done and anyone and everyone can listen to it. It'll be there for people to know and listen to. I'm so excited about that. Oh, and but then I've realized that in this series, there's so much more. Mm-hmm. There's so many survivor stories that need to be heard, and even at these Bob Jones affiliate places. So I do plan, and I think in 2024 I will be creating a podcast or have interviews or have a podcast dedicated just to BJU survivors, just from the school and from BJU affiliated churches and camps and different things like that. So I'm excited. That's that's kind of the next stage of like that's kind of why I'm ending speaking up because I feel that calling to yeah. BJU survivors. I'm so passionate um, about that. And I'm grateful for speaking up. I learned I made a lot of mistakes, um, but I, I applied what I learned to the surviving BJU and like. I've never been more proud of a project than like surviving oh. Bob Jones University. And I love that. I'm excited for everyone to hear it and to expose that school. Yeah. I'm glad that you did it. I'm glad that this is where your healing journey has taken yeah. you and that you're just doing the thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's great, right? Yeah. Is oh. it scary too? It is kind of yeah. scary because. It is, you know, it's already upsetting a lot of people. Yeah. And it's just so interesting because I was always a people pleaser growing up. And then to now coming out of this, becoming this kind of like rebel hero figure to come out against this institution and against mm-hmm. fundamentalism. It's been quite a switch, but I'm proud of myself because I'm staying authentic. I'm not yeah. repressing parts of myself. And this project has also been such a healing journey to me because I've been in therapy for almost two years and... I've barely even, not even really talked about Bob Jones in that because it's so recent and yeah. I've mainly been digging in my childhood in the in IFB movement, but this project really forced me to start like dealing with some of those things from Bob yeah. Jones. And so it's incredible to like look back earlier this year to the beginning stages of like the emotions and just triggers in my nervous system. And then like the literally the day that I finished the podcast, like just reflecting on like 
how when I finished it, like it was like Bob Jones lost his power over me. Yeah. Yeah. It was just so empowering. And that night, like when I finished editing it, I had a dream that like Bob Jones university, all the buildings had fallen in and they were just bricks left. And like, I was sitting on top of it and I was just like, Oh shit. Oh, I love a good. It's just like clarifying dream. It's like, so nice. You, you know, you don't control me anymore. And also I'm exposing you. <laughs> like there's so much. I can't wait yeah, for it to come yeah. out. There's so you much. You have your own power now. Oh, it's yours. God. Yeah. They don't have it anymore. No, they don't. It's a great feeling. Yeah. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. And I am super excited to get to our closing questions too, because I feel like they're going to be really beautiful. Yeah. They're my favorite part of every episode. And also the saddest part, because I could talk to to you forever oh you too but, i can talk to you forever <laughs> and we have i yeah, love it yeah <laughs> our coffee meetings are so delightful yes. and they're always at least two hours and uh, i love that yeah but i feel like you're gonna have some really neat insights on these closing questions mm-hmm. so i ask every guest the same two questions and the first one is what is something you see clearly now that you're removed from the situation that you didn't see before when you were the most immersed in your religion and in bob mm. jones yeah, I think, I mean, I think there are several things, but I think one thing is I think that every single person has goodness inside of them. Yeah, I love that part. I think that's something that's been so life-changing because I think even coming out of that, it was hard to see people as good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we definitely, I think we definitely have dark parts of ourselves, but I think to say that there's nothing good inside of you, no, I don't think so. That's just patently untrue yeah i love that and my last question what have been some of your greatest moments of joy in rebuilding your life after Mm. leaving bob jones yeah i think really the biggest joy is like finding my own purpose yes and yeah and it is something and like that was something that was so interesting to me because i felt that inner calling that was like what it went against what like they taught and like, I think that is why I've been so outspoken and even like taking their risk with this surviving me to you podcast is like, this is my calling. I know it internally, my intuition, like some part of me knows it. Well, you know, you better than anybody else. Yes. Despite what they might believe yes. about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I think the greatest joy has been able to discover my own purpose and that involved, you know, getting in touch with my intuition, getting to know myself and know that knowing that I am true to myself mm-hmm. and I'm living the life that I want to live. And I think, honestly, one of the sad things is I think a lot of people hate me because I'm free. It's true. And they're not. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite things lately for the people who hate me is that you might not like me, but your children are in my inbox and they love me. (laughs) And I think you probably have a similar experience because... Mm. You haven't just created a space of freedom for yourself. You've created yeah. that for other people. Mm. And it is the most beautiful experience for me yeah. to be able to do that and bring people with me mm. to even greater freedom yeah. and even better self-acceptance and even more radical self-love. And I really appreciate you being here to be a part of that with me oh. and for creating a bigger space for people to do that from the Bob Jones experience, yeah. which is a very unique one, but a very far reaching one. Yeah. And, and just, yeah. and I think that's the thing. I've already had people who've listened to the early access on Patreon that mm-hmm. 
they were like, you know what? I didn't grow up at Bob Jones, but I relate to so much of it. Yeah. All the different elements. So I think it's going to relate back to a lot of people are going to connect with it. And I think one of the most, I think, powerful things about this is that Bob Jones survivors, they have not been seen. They have not been heard. They mm -hmm. have not been understood. But I think when this series is out, we will be seen. We will be heard. We will be understood. That's right. I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. This has been a great joy, and I just love any time we get to spend time together. Thank you for having me. I've loved this so much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode and being on this journey with me. You can find resources and links in the show notes. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate, and review, and follow along on social media to help us grow. Now I See is independently funded by me. If you'd like to help support the show, you can donate directly or purchase a merch item on the website. Music for this episode was made by Alana Sabatini, a former faithful and talented musician. And finally, this podcast is made possible by the incredible team at Softer Sounds, a feminist podcast studio for entrepreneurs and creatives providing technical skill with tender support.